Hello, and welcome to Follow the Woo podcast, where each week I, Fenelon Kush, will guide you on a journey into the land of the woo. We're going to investigate witchcraft, meditations, the paranormal and supernatural, alien and fey encounters, gurus, shamanism, and, and, and all the woo. So hold on to your butt. This just might be the weirdest part of your day. Hello, humans. Today is a sad day for me. I am recording this on May 23rd, and just a few hours ago, we put our cat down, Scout, and it's brought up some feelings, obviously, for my wife and I. Scout was really a unique cat. And I mean, seriously, like anybody who met Scout was always like, what is she? (laughs) Like she just didn't really seem of this earth in a way. She was super annoying (laughs) in a lot of ways. She snored like a drunk uncle. That's what we used to always call her, the drunk uncle. I mean, really, like you could hear her snoring from a room away. And she's just got this tiny little nose. So we were always like, how do you sound that loud? And she couldn't sleep in our room with us because she was a pain in the ass. She would just crawl all over your head and she wouldn't let you sleep at all. She overgroomed. So she had like a belly that was kind of raw all the time. Not raw, but it was just bare. It just kind of always looked silly. And she was kind of anxious and really smart. And um, anyway, I actually have never experienced an animal dying like in in your hands. And so we're sitting there on the couch and, you know, I'm, I'm petting Scouty. Some of you probably know how this goes, but they give the animal the Valium first to kind of put them in a very comfortable state before they put the needle in the vein. So you see them go through these stages of... Oh, look, they're here, then they're here, but kind of glossed over, and then that's it. They're gone. And I'm sure most of you have experienced death. Probably many of you have more than once. When my great-grandmother died, I just remember how the waves of emotion affected my entire family at the hospital. I think I I was like a teenager at the time. I'm I'm really bad with time and space. I don't know. I, I think I might be an alien too. Maybe Scout and I were from the same place. There's so much that happens, right? And these questions arise. This is woo. Like 100% death is woo. What the fuck happens? And nobody can actually be a hundred percent sure. As an eclectic witch, I pull from many different areas to practice my magic. And and for those of you who don't know what that is, I, I pretty much told you, but it's basically like you have a core foundation of paganism and then you pull from many different cultures and religions and practices from an appreciative standpoint, not appropriative. You know, we, we do our best to, I, I can only speak for myself. I do my best to not pull from any practices that would be disrespectful. So it's kind of a hodgepodge of all of these different things. And so anyway... The doctor who came to euthanize Scout gave us a book on grief. 
the thing that stuck out to me is that grief and mourning are two separate things. And Westerners especially get them confused. They think they're the same thing. And actually what happens when we experience a loss, we feel grief and then we stuff it, we hide from it, we ignore it, we aren't given the space to express it. And so it festers and we don't heal appropriately. Mourning is the actual expression of grief, which is the bridge to healing. I mean, it could be anything, whatever helps you express that grief that's inside of you. If it stays inside, it's like a mold almost. It will snatch your happiness right from you. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't feel grief and that we should just hurry up and be fine with the fact that our loved one has passed. I'm just saying we can't live there forever and that it's okay. It's more than okay to express that grief. So if you need extra hugs or to wail or to punch a pillow or whatever it is, I mean, that's your right to mourn that pain, to get that energy out of the body. For me, I love chanting. It is something that helps me get into what my old coven used to call a magical mode, like as quickly as possible. And the more people chanting together, the more palpable and powerful that energy is. So Ash and I did some chanting of a call, something that I've learned in kundalini classes, which is a Gurmukhi chant. It comes from the tradition of Sikhism. And as far as I understand, translates to a timelessness and an immortality of spirit. Let me just make sure I note here. I would tell anyone who's interested in kundalini yoga or who practices kundalini yoga to really look into Yogi Bhajan and the investigative report that came out about him, especially if you're a white person like myself. You want to make sure that you're practicing, first of all, kriyas and chants that are legitimate, number one, because he made a lot of it up, unfortunately, and two, that they are not appropriative. I know that Snadam Kar, who is a kundalini teacher, has a recording of a call and that this is something that is often chanted when someone passes. We did eight minutes of that, which was very emotional. We pretty much snotted through the entire thing. And then we've had that playing in the background of our house for the whole day. It's the intention really, right? Like it's the intention that we're helping Scout's spirit understand that she doesn't need to stay here with us. She's allowed to go and that it shouldn't be scary. We're encouraging her to move on to whatever life is next for her. And so we started thinking about that. Like, where do they go? What do they do? I've looked into death before and there's a Tibetan book of the dead. And there's like, everybody has an idea about what ha happens to us when we die. As an eclectic witch, I am not certain about anything really. M maybe a couple of things if I thought about it, but it's certainly not what happens to us after we die. I have no fucking clue. I have an idea of what happens to us, but the details are really fuzzy. I think based on my actual memories of past lives from when I was a kid and from past life regressions that I've had, that we do reincarnate. I would say I'm almost certain that that's what we do. It just feels like the most realistic, right? Like we know for a fact from a scientific standpoint, energy does not die. 
it's continually coming in and out of existence, but our eyes are unable to process that. So if energy doesn't die, it seems the most sensical that we reincarnate. And of course, as most of you know, many, many traditions, religions believe in reincarnation. In fact, the people who decided that Christianity was going to be the jam of all jams basically picked and chose what they wanted. And one of the things they didn't pick was reincarnation. They were like, nah, that doesn't really work with our like whole narrative. So when did Scout's soul go? Was it the moment when the liquid goes into her body? Or was she in a liminal space prior to the liquid going into her vein? I feel like, based on how she was acting, that she was in a liminal space. And we've heard of this before, right? Like if you've had a family member dying in bed, especially in hospitals, you know, it's almost like they're coming in and out of existence like we are always doing, but they're doing it more quickly and they're noticing it. I used to work at a nursing home where everybody was dying all the time. And a lot of times when people are dying, they do really creepy things. I mean, it's super creepy at the time, but when you think back to it, what is going on there? Like very often, actually, the person dying will feel like someone's in the room with them and they'll start talking to them you know, right in front of you. Or they'll tell you about them. They'll say, oh, my uncle's here and he said such and such. Or my mom came over or my old dog. And it happens so often that it must be beings coming, right? To sort of usher you into what? That's the question, right? And I'll just say it one more time here. I am certain of nothing. But I always think of the book, Many Lives, Many Masters by Dr. Brian Weiss. Essentially, he's a traditional psychotherapist, and he was at first really skeptical when one of his patients started recalling past life memories and traumas that seemed to hold like the key to their current traumas in this current lifetime. As far as I understand, I think this original patient that he had, and I mean like original in like the first one that started recalling past life memories, began talking about this in-between space that everybody goes to. And apparently this patient then proceeded to tell Dr. Weiss about family members that had passed and about Dr. Weiss's dead son. And there's no way that she would have known about this. I mean, it's just impossible. So his skeptical Western medicine brain was like, wait a second, how? So of course he got curious and he started to do some hypnosis therapy and get into other people's past lives over a long, long, long period of time. Like this became his life's work. I think it's just called past life therapy. And probably the most profound finding is that 99.9% of people who went back into their past lives talked about this in-between space that we go to. And we go there in between our lifetimes and it's pure love and we get to see other beings that have already passed and we get to connect with them and there's no pain and it's just a relief zone. And we stay there and we kind of recharge in until it's time to move on to our next life. I haven't read it in a while, but I think most of Dr. Weiss's patients talk about how like you do choose that life. So you decide what lessons you want to learn next. And of course, the details change when you get on earth or wherever you go. 
I don't know. I'm not sure if it's in that book, but I've read many other books where people say, well, you can reincarnate on other planets as well. So that's a mind fuck. <laughs> Marinate in that for a second. Perhaps that's where Scout went. Maybe she went back to her home planet. I'm not sure. But that's an interesting note, right? Because this is where a lot of people get hung up on past lives. And I have multiple times, like this is like full on existential spiritual crisis shit, right? Like, do we choose this shit or is it chosen for us? And this gets really hairy because if you look at it from like a Hinduism standpoint, you are essentially reincarnating until you reach a state of perfection again, which is realizing that you are one with everything and you are one with the almighty God, like the OG, OG God, right? And that has a weird connotation for me that's always really bothered me. And that is that there's something sort of fundamentally wrong with us and that we're being punished. I, when I was in India and I was being taught by a yogi in an ashram, he said life is a punishment essentially. And that doesn't ring true to me. There's always been something about that that was a little bit off. And here's the thing that I think, and this is why I always go back to being the eclectic witch. I think Hinduism gets some things right. And I think Buddhism gets some things right. And I think Christianity even gets some things right. I hate to even say it because they're so problematic, but they're, you know, especially Christ's original teachings some things right. All of these different religions, Judaism, all of them, all the mysticisms, they get certain things right. But do they get it all right? I just don't think so. But in Hinduism, it's this idea of punishment, right? And we have that in Christianity too, the original sin. It's like, wait a second, like, are we not pure divinity when we plop into this planet? Like, in my opinion, yes, yes, we are. Can I prove that? Absolutely not. You know, I can prove it to myself from my own experiences that I've had in deep meditation, but I can't explain that to anyone else. It's a feeling that the core of who I am is divine and it comes from the mysteriousness that is the divine. That's the thing. They're inextricably connected, the divinity and the mysteriousness. And that's the part that makes you feel like you're bad shit right? They are two sides of the same coin. So I think Dr. Brian Weiss's work found that we choose to come back. And this is a weird mindfuck too, because it's like, why would we choose such shitty lives? And the best answer I can come up with is that we need contrast to learn. That's how it works. Without contrast, there isn't growth. At least this planet, as far as we understand from observing nature, that's how it works. We have to have a certain amount of pain for there to be growth. There's an interesting line that people say in Buddhist meditation courses, especially is pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. Life is painful. There will be a number of pains that you will experience, but suffering is the holding on to the pain, is the integration of the pain into the body, is the, like I said before, not allowing the expression of the pain to come out. It's not allowing the mourning to happen. It's holding on and not knowing how to let go. And you've probably heard about this before. You know, Brene Brown talks a lot about this. And we've heard it many times now over the past like 10 years in the public conversation, which is that like animals, when they experience something tragic, so the pain that is inevitable, they shake it off. Their whole bodies shake from the, you know, the tip of their nose and the top of their head to the, their tails. And that is the releasing of the pain so that it doesn't turn into suffering. We don't have that. We've never really been taught in Western cultures, 
especially, but in many, many cultures, it's not common for humans to be given permission to release in that wild way. There's a wild in us that needs to be expressed. And I think that's why chanting and yelling and moving your body and doing like certain yoga poses like lion's breath, you know, the ones that really make you feel like a freak. Those are the, the ones, you know, that's when you, you reclaim the wild that you are and you can't deny it. You are a wild bitch. You are. And so there's this moment where it's like, you know, in lion's breath, it's like this, that's releasing and allowing the energy to come out of the body, allowing the pain to not turn into suffering. You learn this in really long meditation courses as well, like 80 hours into a meditation course or something like that. You might be sitting and your body is like, dude, you've been sitting in the same fucking position for so many hours. I want to murder you right now. You know that you can feel like the pins and needles or you can feel pressure. Maybe you have a bruise. Who knows? Like a bed sore almost. And there's an interesting thing, right? Like if you fight the pain while you're sitting in that pose, then the pain gets worse. It increases. But if you survive, surrender to it, the pain can be observed as just pain. And it's the weirdest thing to actually experience in real time. I'm sure some of you have experienced this, but you can actually feel joy, like have a sincere smile on your face and even more importantly, in your heart while you are sitting in pain. And that's when you know you are in a state of higher consciousness because you are seeing the reality of the situation. The reality of the situation is that the mind wants to hold on to the pain. It wants to turn it into a suffering. You just say, okay, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to sit here and I'm going to let it release on its own. It's an interesting concept and it's one that I've been thinking about all day. How can I love Scout and send her that love and not abandon my own pain, my own grief and that mourning process without turning it into suffering. I don't know if at this point you think I'm just babbling. I kind of am. I'm processing death in the way that I know how. Where is Scout now? Is she lingering for a beat? Will she come back to visit? Can I use my ghost investigation equipment to contact her? And if I do, will it come back in words or will it come back in meows? I just don't know. One thing I did was I sort of intuitively followed which books might help me through this process. And so I thought I would read some of what I found. And maybe it will help you go through what you're going through. And maybe you'll be like, what the fuck is she talking about? The first one is from the Tao Te Ching. And it is the 74th verse, I believe. I don't know if they're called verses in the Tao, but it goes like this. If you realize that all things change, there is nothing you will try to hold on to. If you aren't afraid of dying, there is nothing you can't achieve. Trying to control the future is like trying to take the master carpenter's place. When you handle the master carpenter's tools, chances are that you'll cut your hand. I know that there's such importance to the idea of dying before you die so that you are unafraid of dying, of leaving this body. Also, there's the mysteriousness of taking the master carpenter's place. Like, 
don't fuck with master carpenter's tools because they're going to cut you because your consciousness isn't high enough to work with them. So you just kind of have to let go. That's hard though. And who's the master carpenter? That's the question. Is there a master carpenter? I don't know. I'm inclined to believe that there's what I've called in many episodes, as you know, if you're a regular listener, the primordial ooze, the shit that was there prior to manifestation of form, including thought forms. And then from that, there was the void and the initial desire of wanting to perceive oneself. And then we became creators. We became extensions of that original primordial ooze, that original desire. And it goes on and on and on. I mean, weird. It's really weird, right? So I guess in that case, is that God? Is that primordial ooze God? Is that the master carpenter? I think so. And I think there's beings that are in higher levels of consciousness than we are and lower levels of consciousness. And I don't know how any of that works. I have theories, but we don't have time for all that. All right, I'm going to read another one. This is from the book, How to Know God. The subtitle is The Yoga Aphorisms of Patanjali. Patanjali was a sage in ancient India. He's kind of a mysterious one too. We don't know exactly when he lived, but it was a long ass time ago. And you might've heard Patanjali's sutras, yoga sutras. That's one of the earliest texts in the land of yoga. Here's just a little part from page 118 that leapt out to me today. The doctrine of reincarnation is exceedingly unpalatable to many people because it makes each one of us directly responsible for their present condition. We all dislike having to face this responsibility, and some of us prefer to blame God or our parents or the existing political system for making us what we are. If we deny reincarnation and claim that this birth is our first, we are, in fact, disclaiming responsibility for our condition since it then logically follows that this condition must have been ordained by God or brought about by the influences of heredity and environment. Hence, if we have been born physically or economically underprivileged, we are provided with a permanent grievance, which permits us to spend a lifetime sulking and cursing our fate, and with a permanent excuse for all our own weaknesses and failures. This doctrine of reincarnation which at first seems so grim and heartless, actually implies a profoundly optimistic belief in the justice and order of the universe. If it is we, and not God, or our parents, or our fellow men, who have made our present predicament, then it is we who can change it. Oof, so it's tough. But I like the idea that it's optimistic in that it reveals to us that we are intrinsically powerful like beyond anything we could ever imagine, meaning that we put ourselves in these scenarios, in this play called life, to experience different struggles, to learn that we had the power all along. I like to think that Scout is in the wonderful in-between space, preparing, or maybe not, maybe she's just chilling for a while, but eventually she will prepare to choose another life that she'd like to be a part of in whatever form she chooses. That feels good to me, so I'm going to hold on to it. I'm going to read one last little spot, and then I'm going to let you guys go, because this is a weird episode anyway, and I'm tired because we've been crying all morning and chanting, and I need to get some food. But I thought this was an important thing to share with you, because death is real fucking weird. 
I got into Rupee Car, Milk and Honey, page 196. You have to stop searching for why at some point. You have to leave it alone. I don't really like that one very much because I am a why person. That's why I have a podcast about the woo because I'm constantly like, why does this happen? Why does this happen? But I think it's an important mantra for today, for me especially, and maybe it is for you as well, that sometimes you just got to let it go. Why did Scout get sick so fast? Why did Scout choose to die today? If you're not careful, and I'm really speaking to myself here, your why just becomes a monster. Today, I am trying to let go of all those whys and just remember Scout, the hilarious, annoying, chunky, smart cat that everybody loved. I hope there's lots of laser pointers and I don't know, right before she passed, she got really into playing with the, we had like an old Apple watch charger and she loved that thing. So maybe there's a lot of Apple watch chargers wherever she is and If any of y'all are going through any loss in your life, I hope this was maybe helpful. This is in replacement of like going to church or like a funeral service for me. I hope y'all have a great rest of your week. I will catch up with you next week. And it's going to be a really interesting episode. It might even be a two-parter. I'm not sure. But we talk about all kinds of woo. And this person has a really, really unique backstory. Okay. I love you. Bye. Thank you for following The Woo with me today. If you love what you heard, please make sure to subscribe to Follow The Woo wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're feeling particularly stoked about this show, please leave a review and or rating. You can also support this podcast by becoming a member of The Order of Woo, where you'll get community access and loads of extra goodies exclusively on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash follow the woo. The Order of Woo patrons bolster this podcast and community and allow for the creation of more content, products, services, and events over time. Every little bit helps, and I'm so grateful for the patrons who have joined the order already. If you've experienced something magical, mystical, or just downright weird and want to discuss it, or if you're interested in sharing your expertise, or if you want me to research a woo topic with you or for you, please email me at followthewoo at gmail.com. Join me next week for another woo topic. And remember, tell the truth, be nice to each other, and if it feels right, 